Hello and welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane wearing a snazzy new shirt. Orson Welles. Orson, I know who it is. Well, I was saying, head, yeah. I haven't seen it before. I was, it was is it new? Uh, I don't. Yeah, you just. I think you just don't notice me in the way that I need to be noticed. You know, when I wear a bright <laughs> new shirt, you, you're too busy influencing the horror community to change the world. <laughs> That's it. That is it. So yeah, it's it's pure uh, change the world and pay us better. That's kind of the biggest thing. Yeah. So I spent my day um, at the Horror Writers WGA strike, which was something that I organized with Andrew Lobel, another amazing horror writer who you know from trivia. And uh-huh. um, yeah, he had reached out to me and said like, hey, you want to organize this with me? And so we got together and we started this like real grassroots effort in conjunction with the WGA to do a horror-specific writer's strike at WB. We were able to get a Chinese restaurant to bring us so much free Chinese food. Um, Bangoria provided coffee. It was just an yum-yum donuts, wow. brought us all these free donuts. The Midsummer Scream people showed up with donuts as well. It was just an absolutely beautiful day with everyone from Simon Barrett, Lee Winnell, Mike Flanagan was there, Axel Carolyn, Mick. Garris. Um, yeah, it was Wait, just did you record it as a podcast? What is this? Mick did. Mick set up oh, really? in the parking lot. Oh, so Jesus. you gotta go because he interviewed me. Like literally him and Joe Russo were ducked back away from all the honking. And they just pick, you know, get us Dennis Kevin, get over here, talk for the Darren Lynn Bellsman, come over here, talk. And yeah, I'm on there as well. And so they just literally, as soon as they would see a horror director or writer, they would grab them and do a quick interview about why they were there, why they were striking. This is why Mick won the Rondo. We didn't because <laughs> Mick is in the moment. In the mean- Mick. Mick is in the moment. In the meantime, I'm like trying to figure out where to put the free Chinese food. And Elric is like at a dentist appointment with his kid. I wasn't even invited. And- that's why Mick deserves the I rondo. I didn't get invited. I was like, I, I was looking at my Rolodex. Like hell. No pr- professional invitations to a strike. If I So Dick Grunert shows up and he's like, yeah, I text Elric. I don't know where he is. And then like an hour later, Luke Petrowski is there and he's like, I think Elric's coming. And then I text Elric and I'm like, where the fuck are you? And he's like, at a dentist appointment. I've never heard of so, either of them. Lame. Those two people, those lame. names mean nothing to me. <laughs> I don't know them. So I, I'm cutting all ties from my, my trivia but, it was just absolutely a fantastic day. Several hundred people were there. The The WGA um, strike captains told me it was by far their biggest organized kind of theme strike that they've had so far. We had lots of mm. people in costume. Somebody was dressed up as the Valentine Cupid. So that picture, that was around. great. Yeah. It was brilliant. There were a lot brilliant. of pictures of critters eating people. I was like, why so many critters? critters That's great. Yeah, there was some critters right. there running around. I brought, um, because I did like a Halloween theme last year for my house of skeletons i brought all my skeletons and set them up so there was skeletons in the backgrounds at the bushes and it was just an absolutely beautiful hopeful and refreshing day to just remind me of the community and the camaraderie within the horror you know our horror community it's just it's a beautiful place it sounds like exactly what i actually needed today but i didn't get right (laughs) instead i i I was very internal today uh getting in my head I met a couple listeners who had come, not because they were in the WGA. Some of them didn't even work in the industry, but they had heard about the strike on my socials and wanted to come support the WGA, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. I met a couple people and they were like, no, I I work in finance at an accounting office up the street, but I really wanted to come support because I'm a huge horror fan. And just having people out there walking the picket line 
you know, that aren't even in the union that just want to help support and, you know, make it so that we can continue writing horror films. It was beautiful. So yeah, and this I is will a big step deal. down. Yeah, no, but this, it is. this is a it's big a... deal and, and things are, uh, things could go on for a while, but they're also like, I, I heard yesterday that somebody told me they couldn't get production insurance for a film now. And that's a sign yeah. that once that starts turning, there won't be new films for a while. And eventually people will have to deal. And, and hearing about all these amazing projects that people like, Mike, Nick and Tosca, you know, all them hearing about all the stuff that they had in the works that, you know, got paused. Like you want that stuff. Trust me, you yeah, want that yeah. stuff to come back. So yeah, I, I want a quick resolution. I don't think there will be one. I have a feeling there will be another horror writer's strike, but that said, fingers crossed for yeah. a quick resolution. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's um, definitely some rumors floating around LA that other unions might be joining that, yes, um, and striking yeah. with us. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a wild summer for, uh, for everybody in the industry. Otherwise all you're going to get is AI. Sorry guys. Nothing. And that does nothing not excite AI. me. It's not excite me at all. I, I, I will never watch a movie by AI. I don't care. Even if it was brilliantly made i don't care i realize saying when all these conversations start to come up what i love about art and what i've always loved about movies is that they come from a person like even a mm -hmm. bad movie was made by someone who has like weird shit that they put in that movie and if you strip that out of something even if it's slick i don't give a fuck like i truly don't care at all if it's if it's entertaining or not it has to come from a person and people and so that's what art is and that's what movies are so and we're gonna stick you with know that. that is so much of what makes horror something that we all can that we all think about like you know there is one john carpenter yeah. who does what he does and does the music and the visuals and the story along with it there is one frank henenlotter yeah. and you're not going to get a frank henenlotter if it's being written by ai because yeah. you lose the artist behind the art and you lose that person that they're putting into it and suddenly even personalized stories about what people are going through traumatically like the brood or possession or things like yeah. that become a thing of a past because every film becomes a de highly derivative amalgamation of everything that was ever written before it and that is where the issue it reminds in. me of that some especially on the high end if, if ai gets really great let's say at, at doing these things it reminds me of that when you saw for the first time like when they would have made a reproduction of the Mona Lisa and it's like it yeah. might be perfect but it's not the same fit we have a feeling that we get from seeing the actual thing it's like a rarefied object or something special yeah. and it's not the same when we when we buy a print of something and put it on our wall it's just not and uh hopefully we can always uh hold on to that but that is part of this debate and people I think are just like people who don't care necessarily about the writers are overlooking there's other elements to this conversation oh there's lots i mean there's like residuals there's the fact that you know even me i had a movie that i suddenly noticed was on a streaming platform and had been there for a year and never saw yeah. anything from it i was suddenly like how long has this been here i should have gotten something yeah, right i mean i wrote it and, world yeah uh, it's it's wild times in the streaming streaming is like wild west where it's just all tight everybody's making their own rules depending on which town you're in that week and yeah, it's and a, streaming is a wild thing. And a strike and a protest is usually um, it's of the moment, but it's actually largely about, oh, you need to do it now for the next like seven or eight years to avoid another one of these, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of these things are about looking forward to seeing, oh, this is going to only get worse. So uh, anyway, that's our that's important to get across. Uh, but you were influencing. We won't we're not going to review it. But, uh, you know, the the kind of inspiration of this whole episode was the film Influencer on Shutter, mm -hmm. which we both watched. Yep. And in the second half, we will talk to 
uh, the director and kind of go on off some other inspirations. But what was fun is after we did that, inadvertently, we watched a movie that you suggested. Uh, we'll get, uh, talk about how that came up. That happened to be also about influencers. So let's go there. Which was super random. And we didn't realize because we'd already decided to do yeah. our episode on influencer horrors. And then so one night I'm just mindlessly scrolling through Netflix and my MO on Netflix, because as we all know, Netflix is kind of a hot mess. And this is streaming across the board of like, will this be brilliant or will this not? And usually I'll give movies like 10 minutes is kind of my go to. And if I can't feel you know, completely, if I'm not like, holy fuck, I have to watch this within 10 minutes, then I'm probably going to move on. So it's all about that cold open. Um, And so I clicked on Luther, the fallen son, because I liked the cover. This is so like shitty of me. But yeah, it was kind of like, well, that covers interesting. I'll see what this is. This had such a bonkers cold open leading up to about the 15 minute mark that at the 15 minute mark, I text Elric and I'm like, I don't know what you're doing tonight, but you need to go watch Luther the Fallen Sun because this was like the coolest cold open serial killer shtick I have seen in a long time. I think your exact and wording was, this is how we wanted Snowman to be. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I said. I was like, it's the cold open that you wanted from Snowman. And sometimes it, uh, you'll recommend a movie and it takes me about seven to nine years to watch it. This That that one hook you gave me, it was the I, was snowman like, hook. I was like, oh shit. All right. I put everything down. The movie you wanted snowman and, and then it, and then i had a very humorous reaction where you're like i think this might be maybe there's a tv associated and when i looked up because you said luther the fallen son which is the title i thought i kind of heard it all in one hit not thinking luther the tv show which i had seen every episode of starring idris elba which is a fantastic show this is a movie extension of that character but in a much bigger kind of bigger stakes kind of world so that is not crucial. No, you do no, not you have to have seen the TV show because I've never seen the TV show. I did not even know it was a TV show until I kind of casually Wikipedia'd it on my phone while I was watching the movie. And then I was like, oh, I think it's based on a TV show. But that said, I didn't go back and watch any of it. I will now because this is a fucking really badass character. A lot, more, um, um, a lot more realistic and gritty. That's what surprised me about this because in this, like he's suddenly going to jail and it's like, it feels like a totally big genre movie. And I was like, oh, okay, this is not how I imagined that character suddenly being but it was cool it was a good a good use of it but the thing that i found most compelling about this i mean the idris elba character in this luther he's a disgraced cop a detective and he is on the hunt for a serial killer that's all cool and well but what was so compelling and fascinating about this is the serial killer yeah. that it was this um cyber serial killer who specifically had a team of people whose job it was to be online and get your dirtiest secret, whatever your ultimate shame is that you have done, whether you're talking about it on Facebook or whether you're watching some type of wild ass porn or doing something, cheating on somebody, it's all online. And all of our shame usually exists in an online space now. And so he has this team of people who will find this shame. And then he uses that to exploit you, to get you to do things. So it's still all about influence because he's using that threat of releasing what is the worst thing you have ever done in your life as a way to control you. 
And with that, it's very orchestrated of, okay, well, this person is going to do this thing or else I'll release this. And then once this gets here, I'm going to have this person do this thing. And there are some amazing scenes in this movie, like just absolutely jaw dropping. scenes. Like, like you said, the cold open, the first 15 minutes is really good and has a real big payoff horror wise that you're like, oh, shit, this is a great image. And it does mm-hmm. build to you know even bigger. We won't spoil the influencer thing it's building towards, yeah. but it's got a it gets big, huge. It's got a big soul like idea at the center of it. Do you realize who he was, the bad guy, as you're watching it? No. He's Gollum. That's Gollum. That's Gollum. That's Gollum. Andy Serkis. I found him to be so fascinating yeah. looking. Like he's just a really interesting yeah, guy. This was a good role and, for him because he's really yeah. creepy and he's kind of wealthy, but he's like doing these awful things. He's got no conscience at all. He's like a real, real sick character but i thought he was really good in it uh because you know sometimes he gets cast in things i mean he's obviously great in planet of the apes and things like that but because he's that's what he does that kind of performance but seeing him not under a costume not under cg was really really good i think in this one i will also say without um talking too much about it that it did use the red room which is this Mm -hmm. like urban legend that's existed online which is like you know if you go to the dark web you can watch the red room and it's where they're killing people live on camera and that utilized it in a clever way that I've seen it utilized in other horror films that just didn't quite do it to this degree. There's a really cool Red Room comic book that's quite mm. extreme, but this I liked how clever the portrayal was in this. And there's one other character I will mention just because she's a really great actress, Cynthia Erivo. She plays the main cop who is... Uh, kind of not believing that Idris Elba's character is a good cop initially and mm-hmm. she's just she's on the case she doesn't want any help from him but the reason she's so good uh, she is the main cop in The Outsider the Stephen King show and she is like dynamite on that show this, this doesn't yeah. give her quite as much to do but uh, but you know good cast uh, this was just a really nice late night surprise uh, I appreciate that fun. Yeah, no I had a good time but from start to end and, and just ended up being perfect for this episode which was fun yeah so if you've been looking for for kind of a cool twisted serial killer even if you haven't seen the luther tv show luther the fallen son on netflix now has it's got some good stuff in it yeah uh then me and you went to the movie theater to see a movie called sanctuary uh which directed by zach wiggin and this is like for people who liked piercing a couple years back has the same star christopher abbott uh and star of possessor and he is a <laughs> i feel like this is the perfect come down and i don't think you've watched it all yet but the perfect come down from secession. I don't know if you. Because, I haven't. I've only seen the first. Season. It, it really was one of those shows where, like, once you get into it, the, at the start, it's a little hard to get into just because they're so unlikable. But once you get into that world, it's it's just fucking Shakespeare. And, well, and it's I will say, I was so pissed off because yesterday Max, because they're hip now, not HBO Max. Oh, Max yeah. boiled the final fucking episode on their own Twitter feed, uh, like just uh, everything. I was so pissed. So but anyway, on how you get there. Trust me, it's I know. It's well I know. But this this is I feel like if you if that's a world you like because this is all done through dialogue and performance and staging it gets to real high stakes uh, behind the curtain of very wealthy and you know people. Uh, yeah. So Christopher Abbott plays a guy whose father's passed away and owns a huge chain of hotels and he's in a hotel room and uh, a woman enters with the blonde hair played by Margaret Qualley, who is literally on fire in this movie. I think she is so <laughs> good. It's like, like one of the best was, things I've seen in a long time. A performance. He one. was okay. Yeah. She was just electric. Yeah. He's usually through the whole he's thing. He's always great, but I think he's playing a dumber, dimmer character here. So he's a mm-hmm. little less exciting, but it's, he's perfect for the role. She is like, 
electric. It, it's the movie. Yeah. Of now I've seen her in a lot of stuff now, but this is the one where I'm like, okay, she's one of the great actresses, now, young actresses now. Um, she comes in and you think you're watching, you know, uh, some illegal person walking him through a legal process, uh, something to do with his job, something to do with a board. And then it starts getting, the dialogue starts getting slightly kinkier. And then there's, hey, let's stop. That's not in the script. And it kind of, and you start seeing their relationship shift and change and push and pull. And you start to realize, oh, he's this very wealthy man who uses a dominatrix uh, for all these years with a non-physical relationship that they've had uh, as he's trying to get himself into a place to take over his father's empire. And when he kind of lets her know that this is probably the last time they will be meeting because he's now an important person shit goes off the rails and it yeah. it has twist after twist performance shift after performance shift and i love watching that kind of stuff because you don't see movies like this on the big screen much anymore usually you're watching this something like this at home but i found yeah. it quite exciting to be sitting in a movie theater watching something where the dialogue is what the fire is in you know the dialogue in this was amazing and i will say this film is not as horror as the trailer makes it out to be like the trailer is like pulling knives and tying people up and things like that. Like it is not quite as hard as the trailer pushes it. It is still definitely a thriller and a damn good one. And it's also funny. Yeah, it's really there were funny. so many yeah. moments of it that I it, it very much a dark, dark comedy yeah. where it is this dominatrix just going off on this dude yeah. for like an hour and a half and clever in that as well. So yeah, this was a, a pleasant shock because when you read the write-up, it sounds like piercing. Yeah, like it just right. sounds yeah. like piercing, and and it's the same actor as piercing. It's so weird that, that it's the same guy yeah, in, a, in a hotel room, but very different setups. Yeah, sure. vastly and vastly different tone. I mean, yeah. piercing was funny at moments, but this is a completely different, almost smarter. This feels more in the I real think. world. Piercing's great because yeah. it's almost surreal and the visuals mm-hmm. of it are very, and it's like heightened because he wants to feel like what it's like to kill someone. This is not that. This is like two truly believable people could be, uh, but pushed to kind of an impossible way. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. And I think I doubt many people will see this much more in the theater, but it, um, you know, once it comes to VOD, highly recommend. Yes. What's your next? Okay. Um, I'm going to give uh, two quick plugs here. So first I want to talk about the Robert England doc, oh, cool. Hollywood dreams and nightmares. This is on Screenbox, or I think it's, I think it's already there. If not, it's coming there super soon, but I'm pretty sure it's already there. This was about, it's, it's kind of just the life journey of Robert England. Now I have seen a lot of documentaries about him as Freddie, but Robert England had a career long before he started playing Freddie. And, you know, he's a classically trained actor who kind of fell into horror that he had done kind of these elevated movies, you know, really kind of classic canon type movies in the 1970s. And then he does Eaten Alive. And then that becomes, you know, I'm Buck and I I like to fuck. And that's, you know, and then from there it moves into Freddie. And that that is kind of where he then rooted himself. And this was him very much embracing Freddie, but also talking about the idea of getting typecast afterwards. How then after that, every single time he went out for a horror role, no, you're Freddie. We can't ever separate you from being Freddie. And then there was a lot of stuff about the fandom and how, you know, while he was kind of, you know, trying to to get away from Freddie a bit and push out into other roles, he did the Phantom of the Opera and try these other things. A lot of, you know, the fans were embracing this. Like there's this crazy story in there about Nightmare 4 and how fans had gotten onto the set and were like beating on his trailer trying to get him to come out. 
And um, that's it's like New Nightmare, interviews. right? Like New Nightmare, yeah. they show that Freddie Mania. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's all about the Freddie Mania happening at the same time as he's like, "Hey, I'm like classically trained. Let me do some other stuff." And and about his heavy skill set that he has. And now, you know, it talked about um, his voiceover work now and how that's a lot of what he does now. And and you know that he can kind of change it so that people don't necessarily immediately recognize him as Freddie amazing interviews a lot of his colleagues a lot of the people that you'd expect from the friday the 13th film or <laughs> my brain um a lot of the people that you would expect from the nightmare on elm street films but then again you also have lynn shay is in there and lance henriksen and tony todd and just people that you might not necessarily expect so you're gonna have all of the regular nightmare cast and crew but then just these other wonderful people from the horror space talking about Robert's journey. I often so, credit yeah, him is- as like one of the reasons why I probably do this stuff is um because I've told the story to some people, but like he, he when I was 20, well, it was the year 2000 and I was working at the Irvine Edwards Art House Theater in Irvine and I was uh just behind the counter and he he Robert England rolls up and I was like, oh, I, I know who Robert and I was very excited. And I let him in to go see, uh, it was like George Washington and um, there's a a Kapoor war film uh, on and I let him in to see a double feature for free. And he he like was very thankful. Of course, he doesn't need to be let in for free, but I did because it's Freddy Krueger. And then he came out between the movies and sat with me as I ate my lunch for about an hour. And he just regaled me with story after story. He signed and drew a little Freddy in my notebook. And and I was, you know, I grew up on V. The show V was a big deal Mm -hmm. for me. And he's great in that show. Uh, And I don't know, it it was super influential in that way where I was like, oh, this person that I know in this one way is totally different than what I was expecting. Like complete, like you were saying, he feels like a Shakespearean actor who he knew all these like New Zealand actors and directors. He had, he had done surfing in New Zealand with the guy who plays uh, Boba Fett, uh, Tim O'Ware Marson. Like he had all these stories of things I knew about. And he used to live with Mark Hamill before Star Wars were all. And like, he just wow. had all these incredible stories that I was like, oh, you aren't the guy that I think you are. And that was very exciting. So I haven't seen this documentary yet, but I definitely will watch it because he's also a great storyteller. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, this was, this was fun. And I do have to say, Robert England, the thing that I will always remember about him is how good he is with the fans mm. at conventions. That's a whole nother level is when you do those conventions, it's kind of exhausting. And yeah. when you're spending eight hours a day, meeting people, shake hands, take cell phone picture, you know, it, it's some celebs are better at it than others. But Robert, when I was doing the Fangoria conventions, I was always so impressed about how excited he was to meet everyone and still is like he's still doing conventions. So if you ever get the chance to meet him at a convention, do. It's a wonderful moment. And we've done this but for yeah. like 11 years and never had done a show with him. Uh, so I would love to talk to him one day again. Uh, I definitely think we can set that up. So let's see if we can do that. So that is um, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares on Screenbox now. Uh, My next one is one uh, that uh, is a sequel, a follow-up to a big movie from a couple years ago that was called Becky. It was just called Becky, and this one's just called Wrath of Becky. Uh, I believe the different uh, filmmakers this time, Angel and Suzanne uh, Coote, and uh, most famously for me, uh, the editor is an um, ex-student of mine, Stephen Boyer. Shout out Stephen Boyer, uh, who's doing great stuff. Um, This was was really fun, and what was interesting is the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh, this tone, because it's like the strange kind of heightened comedy tone at the start. 
which is purposeful to the film. And I was a little bit like, oh, I'm not going to be into this. I had this moment where I was watching going, okay, I'm just not, this isn't going to be for me, but I'll, I'm going to stick it out. Uh, Lulu Wilson's fun to watch, kind of get into it. And about, you know, 35 minutes or so, it goes hard. And once this film changes gear to the, because uh, this is you know, a more revenge than, there's a little bit uh, still of people breaking into her, and into her home she's in like the first film obviously uh which i liked but didn't love when i first saw the first one i was like yeah. i liked it lots of swearing you know fun character she, she joel fu- McHale was cool yeah, she fucks up it, some yeah. nazis and i'm all for that uh this was interesting because in a way this this the second half of this one, i don't want to spoil it because it's still in theaters and so there is about a group of called the noblemen which is very much the proud boys it, it doesn't very thin veil here uh and just kind of again kind of disgusting to have to watch them for too long even the way they talk even when it's jokey i get to a point where like i don't even want to hear people talk anymore uh but thankfully uh she kind of goes after them in the second half of this one versus the other way around and i really enjoyed the carnage once this movie kicked into gear uh and i think people are going to get a kick out of it because sean william scott who is you know dude where's my car uh, is very different in this and very good. I actually think is very well cast as kind of one of the main guys, different from the dumbasses in the group. He's a little bit more controlled, a little scarier, and the stakes kind of go up a little bit. And also you get uh, Jill Larson from Taking of Dipper Logan uh, in an interesting role. So I won't say too much more. I actually had a lot of fun uh, where this one went, and it definitely sets it up that there could be more Becky. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So I liked the first film. I gave it a good coverage on this show. Yeah. But yeah, it's I this feels like it sounds like it's drastically different. I, I think I liked this one more for personally, but at the start I was worried that I wouldn't. And it kind of mm-hmm. it purpose purposely shifts gears. But I think this was a little bit more me by the end. I'm going to go to VHS 99, which I won't spend a lot of time on because I know we talked about this on the show back when you watched it the first time. But yeah, this has been out for a stretch. Now, I want to say it started probably Christmas time last Mm -hmm. year. It was like end of the year. And the reason that I watched this is that Shudder had just released this absolutely beautiful Blu-ray DVD box set, Mm -hmm. like release of it. And I got a copy of it and I was like, well, this is fancy. I'm watching it now. And I had been wanting to see this because it's a lot of people that we love doing stuff. It's Maggie Levin, Joannis Roberts does a segment, Vanessa and Joseph Winter have a segment, Zoe Cooper, who's a friend of mine, wrote one of them. And I was super excited to dive into this. The first one was possibly my favorite because it was about a band. And I thought that was the Maggie Levin one about the band Bitch Cat. So what I felt like this one, and I love Johannes Roberts as well, I thought was really clever. What I felt this did really well was embrace what VHS culture had become by the late 1990s. Like it's got this strong punk kind of guerrilla underground trading tapes aesthetic to it. And that is definitely because this is right at the tail end of VHS culture because by probably 90, I would say about 99, 2000, we really started seeing DVDs become a a thing. Like I was working at a video store in 99 and we had a huge VHS section. And then we had like 20 titles on DVD and they cost like 50 bucks. So it was definitely starting to infiltrate. But by this time, everybody had gotten really hip on VHS. And the idea of everybody had camcorders, everybody was recording. There was kind of this punk rock quality of it where everybody was trading tapes. This is right around the time that South Park Spirit of Christmas would have been circulating. 
which spirit circulated entirely through people trading VHS tapes with it on it at that time. Like it was not a digital file that you were emailing to people yet. It was, Hey, here's this weird VHS tape. I found, watch the cartoon on it. And so I felt like that's what it did. Well, it also, it had a jackass segment, which was very much of the time. There was kind of a band segment that was happening. So yeah, this was, I had fun with this. I can't say, um, you know, it was my favorite VHS. I think that probably part, two I really enjoyed a lot but I like that these keep going and I'm always excited to see where the found footage comes out of like how do they structure it out oh yeah I'd love the challenge to try to do a segment like that because it's just Mm -hmm. you've seen the ones that have come before and you've seen how like just some of them raise the bar um I thought Johannes's was fucking amazing like it's one of my favorite things he's made I just I just love the way it played out uh and and the winter you know they all are doing things that you're like surprised the Medusa story like was like super fun once once you get those reveals yeah now the VHS films I'll always take risk even if there's one I'm like colder on or if there's a there's always a segment I actively dislike there's always just one that I'm just like oh I can't stand this but then who cares you'll get to the next that's (laughs) that is I, I learned this after I made an anthology film That is what happens to our psyches whenever we watch an anthology film. Just by nature of being humans, we will immediately say, this one was our favorite and this one was our least favorite. And you tell people, like people would come up to me and tell me, you know, I really like this one, but this one, not so much. (laughs) And it's suddenly like by just nature of it being an anthology film, we are all inclined to do that and feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. So yeah. And it totally works. And yeah. And I too, there's always one that I'm like, oh, I didn't get into that one at all. And then there's always one that I feel like shines above the rest. And I think it's just by nature of you've been presented with five options here. Rank them. Well, and the and- reason I know you're right is because when I know when Ryan Swindell uh, did that documentary on, um, you know. Uh, Grave, uh, the mortuary collection. Oh, no, the documentary that he made on anthologies, remember? Oh, yes. I, I remember as soon as somebody's favorite was Chief Woodenhead from <laughs> Creepshow 2, I was like, oh, in that case, I guess everyone will have, because I, I never liked that storyline. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, but then it's somebody's favorite and you're, no, I think you're right. It's very weird because yeah. it would be hard if they're all great. And there has been a couple anthologies where I'd say they're almost all great. Like Asylum is pretty much all great. I feel like Trick or Treat definitely yeah. got close yeah. to that. But at the same time, you still saw like, no, I totally loved the bus segment, but the werewolf chicks, what was up with it, them? It's true. You it's, do still prefer, still even in a really good mm-hmm. one, you still prefer other stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, on yours, you know which one I loved because uh, I love that. Um, what is it? The truck outside the uh, the van outside the mall. I thought that but was... that one got destroyed. That's insane. By a That's lot just of like people. a perfect I know. anthology segment. That was the one where I was like, I want it to be so cinematic. But yet that one, a lot of people were like, she didn't explain where the monster came from. And yeah. You can so send all it, those people to me. And I'll to deal. each its own. To each them. its own. Okay. What else you got? Well, that was it. That's it. That was it. I got a couple more things I'm going to quickly okay. mention then. The Devil's Hour. So this is a British miniseries. I can't even tell what it's uh-huh. British. It's six episodes. So I'm inclined to call it. Uh, you know, a, a mini series, but for all I know, it's been running in the UK for 12 years because that's how British television works. Um, as we discovered with Luther, Luther had like 22 episodes and it had been on the air for 12 years and there were only 22 episodes. So yeah, but this, I feel like it's a mini series. So British mini series, The Devil's Hour playing on Amazon right now. Basically, you're following this social worker and she is dealing with a lot of family issues. She's got a kid who has something very wrong. Like she's taking him to all the doctors and it's not autism and it's not 
depression and things like this, but the kid just has no personality. He does not cry. He's just very, think like, like children of the damned level of just flat. And so she's taken him to all these different doctors. At the same time, she wakes up at 3.33 every single night from violent dreams, violent, horrifying, twisted dreams. At the same time, the cops are on this hunt for a serial killer. And so, and the stories are kind of happening, happening in tandem for a stretch before they start intersecting. And you realize that she somehow is connected to the serial killer and it's more involved in than you think. This, the first episode I had to force myself through. I had read online that the series was amazing. It's got great reviews. The first episode I was like, oh my God, this is a slog. I'm just watching this woman take her kid to doctor's office and a cop talk about, you didn't even see like the serial killer in action in the first episode. It was basically following the social worker character building. Um, But it was, it was definitely harder for me. I made myself get through the first episode. By the time I got to the second, the show got real fucking good. And then keep going with it because it gets even better. I really enjoyed this. And it gets twisted and psychological and supernatural to a degree as well. This one, there was a lot that I enjoyed in this. So six episodes. Um, I watched channel? one a night. This is on Amazon. Okay. Is it on BBC part of Amazon? or No, okay. this is just Amazon Prime. I need a new show because a lot of shows wrapped up in the last couple weeks. Yeah. And some of them aren't coming back strike. And so, yeah, yeah, like that's, you know, it's, it is what it is. And so, yeah, some of my shows had wrapped up recently. I've got like a couple episodes left from, I think, but yeah, this was six episodes. I watched one a night for the last week. And this again, first episode, little slow burn that once you start getting into that serial killer subplot and you realize kind of more psychological what's happening with her, it got really cool. Okay. Okay, I'm going to burn through some books here because I've been reading a lot. Um, These Fleeting Shadows, which were, yeah, These Fleeting Shadows, which is Kate Alice Marshall. This is from last summer. It released August 2022. It has literally been sitting on my shelf since then. And it took a strike for me to be like, well, I've got time. I'm going to read this one. This is, and they say it on the cover. It's Haunting of Hill House meets Knives Out. It is about a teen, this is YA, um, but not that YA. Like that's the thing about YA is it usually just means that it's got a younger protagonist. It does not mean that it's like teen drama or anything like that. So this is a young woman who has never met her family on her mother's side. She doesn't know who her dad is. Her mom moved them away for, or I think her dad might be dead, but yeah, she, her mom, she'd been raised by her mom. Her mom moved them away from the kind of family mansion when she was super young and would never go back, would never let them visit. They lived impoverished because her mom's family was rich, but her mom kept saying, we're never going back there. We're never going back there. Well, her grandfather died and suddenly her mom's like, fuck, now we have to go back. I have to go back and do this one final thing. They get there and grandpa has left her the entire estate, but she has to stay there for one full year. She cannot leave no matter what. And really quickly, you get that there's something absolutely fucked up about this family in the house because every, and it is very knives out where it's a lot of extended family. Every single person is pissed that she got left the mansion, but they all seem scared to death of the mansion itself and what it's capable of and rooms and never go in that room and don't do this thing at night and don't go down this hallway. They're all wanted it, but they're all scared to death of it simultaneously. And so, yeah, Haunting of Hill House meets Knives Out is a perfect way to describe this one. It was tight. I really enjoyed Which this. Couldn't sound more you if it tried. Those right? mixture is perfectly you. 
That was these fleeting shadows. The next one I will quickly mention is the fisherman, which I know you oh, have read. Well, that was that was a hell of a. I read that. I think pretty much when it first came out, somebody had recommended. It. I don't know if it was Jeremy Gardner or somebody, and I picked it up straight away, and it was a very dense, very interesting, kind of mysterious. Like, yeah. yeah, I was really impressed by it. It took me a really long time to get through. Yeah, this it's kind of dense it in that is, way. Yeah, it's dense. It's real dense, and it jumps time periods. Yeah. And there were times where I would start to lose yeah. it, and then I'd be like, "No, I have to see where it goes." Super Lovecraftian. It is about a man who has lost his wife, and he works at a job, and there's another man there who has also lost his wife and kids to a car accident, and the two of them kind of become fishing buddies, and they are sharing this kind of love of fishing but you get that it's kind of the way that they're dealing with their grief of their lost relatives and they find this stream that isn't on any maps and when they talk to some of the locals about it they hear this story about this mythic figure named the fisherman who used to live there who was fishing for leviathan the god leviathan was what he was trying to catch and that's where I'll stop. Mm, yeah. Super Lovecraftian, super wild. You kind of know where it's going as soon as you get to like chapter. I mean, I think it's on the cover, you know, yeah. guy fishing for Leviathan. And then you're like, okay, I'm in. Super Lovecraftian, super God cults, weird stuff, tr- goes through multiple different time periods. And I had, this is, it was a dense read, but I'm glad I finally finished it because it was a blast. This is a good summer read, I'd say. Yeah, I, and then, I need a good book like that. I, I think I want to read the John Darnell Devil House one next. I've got that. So, I've got that on hardback, but I have never cracked it open yet. The one I'm super excited about because this is supposed to be a really weird, trippy kind mm. of American psycho serial killer one is Maybe Fly. Mm. So by CJ Lead, somebody's I just looking got an this eyeball one. on the cover. That's pretty cool, right? It looks cool. Um, I will quickly say I've also been doing a lot of YA books, and this is—I'll say even younger. I'll say adolescent. So this is for those of you with kids that are looking for some horror stuff to read this summer, um, because I've been working in this kind of adolescent space. Monster Camp by Sarah Henning was super tight. I think that one just released in May. The Bellwoods Game by Celia Crampion comes July eighteenth, and that. One. It was cool. Even for adults, it's about this town where these kids play this game where they have to run through the woods and ring this bell. And then supposedly they have to run back. But sometimes the, the legend is like you'll disappear once you ring the bell. This was cool. Yeah. It was very much like an urban legendy story. But the one that I absolutely love that I wanted to at least mention here is called The Clackety hmm. by Laura Senth. I'm probably saying that last name wrong. This is about a girl whose aunt is a paranormal expert. She lives with her aunt in this tiny little New England town. Her aunt's a paranormal expert. One day while her aunt is investigating a haunted slaughterhouse, she disappears. And so the girl goes on a quest to try to figure out what happened to her aunt. And she meets this otherworldly demonic deity named a clackety, named the clackety. And the clackety has taken her aunt and sends her on a journey to find the soul of a serial killer in the underworld in order to get her aunt back. It's super Mm -hmm. fucked up. This is like a wildly weird, wonderful, has some, it feels like Coraline. It's got the same notes as Coraline. So this is one that I immediately was like, 
how has no one made this into a film? Like it's Coraline Nightbooks level of this needs to be some type of adolescent gateway horror because there's just, there's like weird, scary witches and it's just good. And then once I posted on it, I saw all these other horror folk being like, oh shit, I read that. That was all types of fucked up for 10 year olds. And it is. So this is the clackety. So if you're looking for something to really mess up your kids with this summer, this was a tight one. Okay. All right. It was a lot of books. I know no, but where I've been hey, you know. for the last week. So yeah. Hey, we're doing our business. Uh, we are, you're influencing yeah. people to buy some books, maybe read some books. Thank you. And, Thank and remind you. them yes. the name of that great book that will be upcoming that you were able to get. And you're getting some of your Ricks from, it was 101 horror books. 101 horror books to read before you're murdered yeah. by Sadie Mother Horror Hartman. Um, this has been actually where I found um, the these fleeting shadows. That, was that's why there. I brought it up because I know, and I did see Stephen King retweeted or tweeted out to her, tweeted about the book a couple of days ago. Um, so, you know, always good. But any chance you get to get wrecks from books like that on what to read, especially when it's really hard in such a saturated kind of market. So the coolest thing I found in that is, you know, kind of our equivalent of, you know, the ones that you distribute yourself, the self-published. Mm. There are so many tight self-published horror books that I have found through that, that I've been reading through novellas. Oh, cool. Just Yeah. So it's tight. Cool. Anyways, let's hear from our sponsors and then we're going to get into some influencers. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need and after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I gotta say, the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d again that is athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance
Okay, so we are very excited to be joined, uh, maybe from Canada, I actually don't know, we'll find out in a second, um, a director whose uh, filmography, uh, we realized there's uh, many movies, each each movie we picked one, we realized there's two others that he had been a part of, uh, director Curtis David Harder, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, I, I am indeed up in Canada. Okay, in which, oh, thank you, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, so not, so in a, basically screen Los Angeles is what we yeah. think of as Vancouver. Just, yeah, it's it's yeah, North Angeles. That's just it. north. So, of it. Yeah. yeah, just north. Um, So you this was such a cool thing because Elric and I were like, hey, influencer is coming to shutter. Let's check this one out. And then we were really impressed with it. And then it was suddenly like, holy shit, it's the guy who directed Spiral, which was in my top 10 list a couple of years ago. And then once we dug in, I was like, oh, he made Superhost. That was fun. Oh, he made Harpoon. That was fun. Um, so I want to go way back because you clearly are like a multi hyphenate. But how did you first get started in filmmaking, like and and horror in general? Like, where did the love come from? Yeah, um, I was. I mean, I was just a weird kid. I, I think in kindergarten wrote director on the career thing. So was, there wasn't <laughs> really? really a memory. Yeah, there wasn't really a memory of choosing it. I think maybe watching like Jurassic Park as a kid, um, mm. like as a toddler. It was like, and then seeing kind of behind the scenes videos of like, oh, there's people that actually make this stuff. Um, that looks fun. Um, and then horror, I was actually quite a late bloomer. I um, I didn't watch a lot of horror growing up, like kind of the classics. And then we made a sci-fi movie and started talking to Brandon Christensen, who directed Superhost um, mm-hmm. back in the day, and Colin Minahan, who's done a bunch of genre stuff. And we kind of partnered up with them, my producer, Chris Ball, and I, um, to help produce their their first, uh, Brandon's first feature, Stillborn. And so kind of leading up to that shoot, Chris and I were both like, man, we've not watched enough horror to make a horror movie, like it, to kind of, we wanted to be useful. And so every night um, for like, I think the two months leading up to the shoot, we'd watch a couple horror movies. And that, through that, I really fell in love with the genre and, and kind of became, that became like most of the movies we kind of make. So I think it was it was a late, a late bloom, but I think it was, uh, it was fun to be able to, as an adult, go back and start to view all these movies that I kind of missed growing up. Which role, because I noticed obviously you've produced a lot of movies, for uh, which of these, to, which did you do first? Was it producing or directing? And like, because obviously you learned so much and working through a whole movie, yeah. any kind of movie. And writing. You've got writing in there as well. Yeah. I mean, I started uh, like making short films in high school and stuff as a director. And then my first feature kind of out of high school, I directed and then the sci-fi movie. And so for that, it was kind of like, because I was doing so much of it myself, um, you kind of end up producing anyways, because you don't really have a set producer. So when we were kind of talking to Brandon and Colin, it was kind of like a new thing I'd never just produced before. It had always been for my own project. So it was kind of like this new frontier of, oh, I only have to do half of what I'm used to doing. So it kind of fell into it. Uh, and kind of started to fall in love with the idea of, of kind of helping other directors make projects that I necessarily wouldn't have made myself, mm-hmm. but cool to see and support kind of movies like Harpoon that are so zany and out there and so not what the kind of stuff that I make, but stuff that I love watching. So it's kind of like you get to be a bit of a, a fan and, and learn from people you really respect. Well, and yet you just said not quite like what you make, but if you mix 
Harpoon and Superhost, you kind of have influencer in a way. Because <laughs> yeah. you've, sure. you've got exotic yeah. locations and you have influencers. Uh, well, let's talk about influencer a bit and then kind of go backwards because what I, the first thing that kind of struck me was the opening. Because, I, you know, we're going to talk about influencer movies in general when you're not so much mm-hmm. on air. And obviously they're of the moment of the time and we're, it's a time where it's not just, I don't think it's just a... A uh, clever thing to make movies about. It's actually a very mm-hmm. big part of our culture now. Like every time I go on the phone, something is coming yeah. at me, whether I want that influence or not. But what I found so interesting about the film is, and not to get into spoilers, but just the first like five minutes to me, it's it's a film that says a lot, but doesn't just tell it. And, and most movies are going to tell you their point or their point of view mm-hmm. about social media. I don't know if this one does. And I like that, but I love no. how lonely and sad and depressing her life seems, even though the way she's presenting it is exotic locales, it looks incredible, but she's by herself in these exotic locales. She is completely alone. And I and I thought that was actually one of the cleverest uses uh, yeah. to kind of show. Well, I think a lot of us feel. I've, I've had people write to me going, oh, my God, your life is so perfect and think because of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. are you kidding? It's a fucking mess. <laughs> I yeah. just don't post those pictures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely. No, the ones... yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say just the ones where my kids are like, you know, dropping stuff on the floor and there's Cheerios everywhere. Yeah. Those aren't the ones that usually yeah. go up. Yeah. And it is this kind of chic. But yeah, I agree that it was that kind of the loneliness of traveling by yourself, but yet having to document everything like you're having the mm-hmm. best time was just a really interesting way to kind of usher us into the influencer because we usually see a much different side of it yeah and i think like like there's that positivity bias that we are we're we're not going to post i mean there's obviously like trauma that you'll post about but for the most part social media is all about look how great things are and kind of becomes a bit of a a narcissistic thing so i think i think for us it was kind of exploring it's like okay who are these people because there's so many movies that kind of explore the influencer side of things and it's easy to just kind of dismiss or mock them and so it's like, who are these people when the camera goes off? We don't, I haven't seen too much of the exploration of that. So I think for us, it was, it was kind of exploring the influencer side, but also just how we all have a relationship with social media and what we post and, and why we're, we're looking for this kind of reaction and stuff. Well, you, yeah. you seem to hide some of your, you know, maybe your thoughts about this stuff in different characters. So there's mixed mm-hmm. perspectives because like uh, the character, uh, Cassandra now, who's, who, you know, is stellar in this movie, she really gets to play. I mean, this this movie reminded me a lot of uh, 90s erotic thrillers, which I, <laughs> which I did. I was describing it to somebody yesterday, and I was like, it's like the stepfather, but it's an influencer yeah. who's kind of shifting these, yeah. like, personalities into other lives. And yeah, yeah and single white female, like and it has all those, yeah. all the, the, which are movies that are destined to come back into popularity, really, because yeah. uh, they're so huge. But, you know, she has a great character, but, like, you watch through her eyes initially and you see someone who's kind of trying to almost preach quietly to the other characters, like be in the moment, put your phone down, be in the moment. But then she obviously has a much darker, darker yeah. approach. So I, I do think you guys were able to pepper lots of, and you kind of underestimate the first, first uh, influencer character who comes into it. You just think she's some airhead. And as the film goes on, you realize there might be more there. I won't say more than that. So I think, I think you guys did a really good job of just kind of divvying up the different ideas. Did you, how much yeah. did you and your co-writer uh, like express your own feelings about all things social media in the script? Yeah. I mean, it, there was a lot of conversations between Tesh and I about, cause it, it, the social media part actually kind of came a little bit later uh, as the script developed. The, it, mm-hmm. it actually just started out as a joke between Tesh and I about 
how we'll often travel all the way across the world and eat a burger. And so it's like you're kind of going so far to experience these other things and you end up just looking for things that are familiar. And so that familiarity, we kind of played into the idea of you look for people that are familiar, you look for things that are familiar and how do we kind of subvert that and, and kind of flip it on its head of, of why do we trust the things that we trust? Um, and then that extends onto the online thing where it's especially now with kind of AI becoming more prominent, we, we can trust kind of less and less of the things we can read and see online. So it's, it's how do you actually have your own kind of tests for truth um, when you can be lied to so easily. Um, so that, that was a big thing for us is and the idea of, of, yeah, seeing all these happy people online, but are they actually happy or is it just a projection? Um, and that was kind of a, those where a lot of the, the initial ideas of the script kind of stem from. Um, and the title influencer kind of has a, it's a multifaceted thing where it means a couple different things and, re and refers to all the characters in the film, mm -hmm. all in very different ways. Um, yeah. So kind of, that's kind of where all of the ideas kind of came from and then obviously evolved into, into how the story played out. But I was most impressed that you never once portray being an influencer as bad. Oh, like yeah. most of, most of what we see in media now is very much like, oh, it's not work. It's not a real job. It doesn't take real skill. Right. And what you show in this movie is that there are some problems with it, but that it does take skill and it yeah. does take consideration and that it is something that you have to put time and dedication and a lot of yourself into. And it was vastly different than a lot of other ways that I've seen horror movies portray influencers, many of which I'm sure we'll talk about um, when we dive into kind of the bigger concept of it. But usually it's kind of influencers are vacuous. Mm -hmm. They don't work for a living. And this this avoided all those tropes, which I loved. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a huge thing for, for Tesh and I. I think like we didn't want like we didn't want any kind of just caricatures of what influencers tend to end up being in, in kind of modern films where it's it's easy to just just kind of dismiss them. So I, I think for us, it was like, okay, yes, that that it, we hope that you judge Madison right at the top and that we hope that we can kind of start to plant, to plant some questions about our youth judging these people the same way that the, the story is kind of laying things out. So I'm, I'm all for people thinking that maybe, yeah, who knows what she's actually like and who knows yeah, what any of the characters, there's a lot going on yeah. with each, each and every one of the characters. So from a filmmaker perspective, where the hell did you shoot this? And are they still offering that like tax incentive of whatever <laughs> got you to that location? Because holy shit, this looked like you shot it. It's a beautiful, I mean, was this actually in um, Thailand? Th I believe. Thailand? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. It's gorgeous. These were gorgeous locations. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we lucked out massively. I think like the pandemic was kind of a blessing in disguise in some ways. Um, we were originally supposed to shoot in early 2020. We were like ready to go greenlit to go, go over there and then uh obviously things pushed back because of the obvious and uh it it, it kind of not, it gave us like an extra year on the script and then by the time we were able to finally go a year and a half later it was just opening up so the story is kind of about that loneliness and isolation and because the country was kind of just starting to get tourism back we had access to beaches that would normally be just packed and we were kind of the only people on them so there's some some interesting benefits and, and negatives to shooting during a pandemic um, with a small group like our our crew kind of got downsized and we ended up just traveling with a very small group of people um, around the country and 
kind of shot all over the place from uh, Phuket all the way into the islands of kind of the, the Gulf of Thailand up to Bangkok and everything. What kind so we of, oh, I was just curious oh. what are some of the challenges like, cause I've seen uh, Francis Ford Coppola try to shoot in hearts of darkness <laughs> and I, and I never yeah. could never want to shoot in a jungle ever again after that. But. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. My question was the same because I venture to say 75% of this movie or more is outside and yeah. then a huge chunk of it on the water, both very volatile shooting conditions. So yeah. What was the shoot like? <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Um, no, I think like the, we didn't really realize that the weather, cause it, it's supposed to be the dry season, but in certain, that's only in certain parts of the country. And so on the islands, there was these tropical storms coming in, but it wasn't like, like I'm from Vancouver, it rains all the time. And so when we were over there, it, it would basically go from like blazing, sunny, 30 degree Celsius. I don't even know what that is in Fahrenheit hot. Um, and, uh, then within like you'd feel one drop of rain and within minutes it would be downpouring the most intense rain I've ever experienced in my life. And so psychologically for that to shift like 30 times over a period of a shooting day when you're outside, like some of the sequences where we're, we're it's supposed to be sunny and we're kind of battling this insane rain, but then becoming sunny five minutes later, psychologically that can do some, some really weird, crazy things to you of trying to get your energy back up and to, to do kind of more intense sequences. But um, there's a lot of things. I mean, Cassandra really pulled, pulled her weight a lot. She'd never ridden a motorcycle before. She'd never driven wow. a boat. She'd never traveled kind of internationally to this kind of scale. So there's a lot of firsts um, in terms of what kind of she was doing and what we were trying to pull off because it's a, it's a very physical movie. Speak to what you're looking at a little bit in the casting, because I think what you're talking about and what, what I think the film does, it, it presents a surface first that could may or may not be wrong of each character. Mm -hmm. You know, the male character comes off as a total pig and idiot. And then you meet him. He's very sensitive and actually quite kind, mm -hmm. uh, quite a good guy. You know, so I find that to be a really interesting structure. And with Cassandra, it feels like Taylor written for somebody. You know, she has this incredible birthmark on her face that is obviously she's a stunning person, but it's it almost feels part of the character in the script. So I, but I assume that is not part of the yeah. script. I assume these are things yeah. that, that come out of the casting and just speak to the process as, as you met them, because I think it's a very well orchestrated film where every character gets to do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cassandra kind of surprised us. We, she came recommended, we have the script and CW written out. And a big thing for me when I'm casting a character like that is, is kind of finding the person and then mm -hmm. kind of building the character with whoever's going to play it ultimately. Um, so Cassandra brought so much to it where, we were kind of just having these discussions and, and there were certain things where I was like, we'd be talking about backstory and she'd be, and I, she would ask a question. I was like, why don't you figure that out? I don't need to know. So it's like, there's, there's certain things we were kind of playing with uh, in terms of like certain motivations or certain kind of historical things that had happened to her. Um, and then obviously like her birthmark kind of, she had a lot of ideas of how, how she wanted that integrated. And it was, it was really, really cool to kind of see how, how, confident she is in what and how she portrays things um the rest of the casting kind of just came together really nicely rory was the only character that we knew we were going to work with we'd done a couple movies with him um and then emily was great and sarah kind of came in and, and yeah so it was, it was it was cool awesome so uh, as you were kind of moving through the movie you were going from like these kind of resort locations to these places that look almost desolate like the island and mm. everything were those as desolate as they were looking on screen <laughs> um 
some of it like like we we definitely lucked out with like like the island was just off the coast um and bringing kind of boats and everything there was a few locations trying to find those initially were were quite challenging just because you're looking for things that have to feel very isolated and Mm -hmm. and you're out in the middle of the ocean but um a lot of obviously a lot of kind of trickery of of figuring out how to how to make it actually doable without (laughs) yeah so but we were kind of all over the place we the the country was extremely supportive the Thai people are are incredible and I think like just the way it's designed like the country is so built on tourism that it was kind of we were surprised more films aren't kind of doing the kind of things that we were doing where you can kind of access stuff that is quite easy for North Americans because of the fact that most people in Thailand speak English and and Mm -hmm. that is it is quite an accommodating thing they're they're very supportive now, I also wanted to, I didn't know which VHS segment you produced, because I, I just saw that you produced one of the VHS 94s, and have we both just watched that fairly recently, so I was yeah. curious which one you did. Yeah, I did. So I did all of them other than Timo's, because they shot that one in oh. Jakarta. Yeah. Oh, so you're oh, actually producing wow. one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they shot all of 94 in Vancouver? No, we were in just outside of Toronto. Um, oh, nice. A place called okay. Burlington. Uh, yeah, we, that was an interesting shoot. We We took over a holiday in a big, huge holiday and uh, kind of conference and started building sets inside the the conference studio. So it was, it was kind of interesting because because of the fact that back then when we were, that was early 2021, mm-hmm. I think. And so we what we did was uh, for COVID, we did a bubble. So everybody who worked on the movie into class and crew had to stay in inside this holiday and while we were shooting. So it's kind of like summer camp. Was one of the, was Johannes one of these? Johannes? Uh, that's 99. Oh, that's 99. That's, yeah. I just watched the Blu-ray, right. well, no, which yeah, I will talk about at the top of the show. Yeah, you know, that one story I remember, that, that one stands out because of uh, all the people being buried or whatever it was. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, I know, Becca, we talked about Spiral a couple of years ago, so I figure, you, you, you know, here's your time, Becca. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely loved Spiral. Like, this is one of my top films of the year, so. I'd love to hear a little bit about where the idea came from and kind of how it came to fruition. Cause this is one that, you know, I'd heard about, but I'll call it kind of a shutter discovery <laughs> where I'd seen one or two people tweet about it. And then I was like, I'll click on that sucker. <laughs> and it just blew me away. Yeah. Um, so that was a project that was written by Colin Minahan and John Poliquin. Um, so they've done a bunch of genre films, Grave Encounters and Extraterrestrial and, and, uh colin and i had been producing a lot of brandon's movies together um i produced one of colin's movies what keeps you alive um and he had this script and we were we were kind of doing a a slate of films um where brandon directed z and then i ended up uh, directing spiral um which they were gracious enough to let me direct Mm. so so yeah that's cool oh my god it it does have uh, well it was the cult stuff and the kind of Mm -hmm. Lovecraftian cult vibe that kind of comes unexpected as you get into it. I think. Um, I guess I'm I'm curious in in, in Spiral and in uh, influencers like some of your creative influences because I mentioned erotic thrillers, but that doesn't mean you, you're at all influenced by these movies. <laughs> or what are the kind of movies as you get into a topic? Do you avoid uh, direct influences, or are they more callbacks to things you loved when you were younger? Yeah, I think there's a bunch. I, speaking of, well, a, a funny little anecdote is is. We, I hadn't actually seen Single White Female until recently, which was fun to watch um, without spoiling our movie, that just the, the amount of little parallels, which was which was fun because it was just like, oh, wow, they did this too, and they did this too. And so it was kind of funny. Um, but no, I, I think like, I, I like a lot of like kind of cerebral or anything kind of psychological horror or stuff that kind of gets 
into the brain and, and kind of into why we tick the way we tick. Um, for influencer, it was it was, and I think like there are some parallels between Spiral and Influencer, even though they're they're very different films. Just kind of getting into kind of the mind and, and the way people kind of work. But uh, a big influencer, influence for influencer. <laughs> um, we I got the cast and crew to watch a couple movies together when we were in prep. Um, but there is a movie called The Imposter, which is a this great documentary. Um, kind of and another movie called Burning, um, which was kind of great oh, film right. so yeah, recently so kind of into the idea of like these kind of chameleon characters and and stuff like that where it's it's a little bit slower but it kind of yeah it takes some time and how do you pick the projects that you're going to produce ones like superhost and um harpoon like how do you decide i will come on this one as a producer mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i've been working with Sandra christensen for a long time um produced most of his films at this point um and so for him, I, there's, there's certain filmmakers that I, it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily need to read the script. I just know that I'm going to, it's going to be cool to see what they kind of come up with. Rob Grant's another one who um, done two films together. And I, I would sign on to anything that uh, guy without reading a page. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of other projects, it's, it is often just is the script kind of resonating with me. Is it something that would be an interesting challenge? We just did a new one uh, with Brandon Christensen that we just wrapped a couple of weeks ago that was, it's like a found footage thing that's just so wacky and weird. We have no idea what exactly it's like gonna turn out. And so that was kind of a fun challenge. And then seeing it go from this kind of crazy idea to, oh, this is gonna be really cool. It was kind mm-hmm. of a fun, fun experience. So I like stuff that's kind of, it's a, it's a little bit on the riskier side where you're not sure if it, it's it's like, you don't want to, t- I, I don't like to take super safe bets. I like to, yeah. as a producer, be like, okay, this is really weird and out there. Let's, let's try it out. In making, so you, oh, sorry. Oh, I go ahead. I, oh, I was just curious if making super host as a producer helped you when you came to influencer in terms of learn, like just even simple shit, like, oh, the way you film people on phones and mm-hmm. all the keying that has to be just, oh, just yeah. a little thing. Uh, to me, it's like every film you learn something that will hopefully mm-hmm. teach you something, but that feels like enough in the same ballpark, very different tone. But I was just curious if that impacted it. That was a funny one. Yeah. Cause, cause we were originally going to shoot influencer before Superhost, mm-hmm. Um, and then that just the way that with the pandemic, Superhost became more possible because it was so condensed um, it just want mostly one house and we were able to kind of shoot it with a very small crew. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brandon Christensen is, is also a VFX artist who's extremely talented. So I've learned many tricks from watching him direct stuff where I'm like, Oh, you could do that later. Like, okay. Like <laughs> I had my basic understanding of what, what you could kind of do in post, but then seeing him do some, some very interesting kind of VFX shooting, uh, is, is, is kind of opened my eyes for sure. So you mentioned that you just produced um, a new film. Do you have anything else in the works that you can talk about? Uh, nothing to really like uh, elaborate on, but I think like we've I've got another movie that we're we're hoping to shoot pretty soon, and then Brandon has another movie that we're we're looking at shooting kind of within the year. So uh, yeah, there's there's stuff coming in the works, but but nothing really announceable yet. Well, we've plugged Harpoon and Spiral for you. Is there something of the films you've worked on, not necessarily directed, that you think is being underseen? Like one to just give to everyone, whether you did it or a friend? Um, yeah, I mean, Rob Grant, we did the movie right before we did Harpoon was this like kind of 
mock you documentary called fake blood that mm. has been criminally underseen in my opinion i think it's it's brilliant um it's definitely worth checking out if you're looking for something just kind of i haven't heard of it so, out there yeah. fake blood yeah. well, never heard up. of it exactly i don't know that's some, why we do this on the show <laughs> exactly no that one is is so fun and, and rob's in it um and he's they're basically exploring on one of his earlier films um there's this whole sequence where in the film they dismember a body and some guy reached out to rob um and this is this is real um reached out to rob about like how he'd watch the movie and he's like well you did certain things wrong here's here's how i would do it and here's how you would actually get away with it and he was like showing him a video of him in like a, a, a tool store and like it, it got really weird and rob kind of oh. it, it it led to this idea of am i responsible for this um mm. as a filmmaker doing kind of this violence or or is it just entertainment and the whole film kind of spawns from that and oh interesting goes in some very wow. fun weird places Oh, that's cool. Um, that's wild. That's absolutely wild. Well, we we would go deeper into influencer, but I don't think we can because we want yeah, we, it's brand new <laughs> it's and it's got a lot yeah. of twists, yeah. and we want yeah. people, we want people to see it fresh because I think it is an original take on something that feels like we know it all, and we've seen mm-hmm. we feel like we've seen so many depictions of this in just the last few years. But I I do think this is doing uh, giving it quite a mature uh, kind of point of view. And yeah. there's such a huge act twist, or not even it's like the 15 minute yeah, mark. Right. Oh, by the way. Kudos on the baller move to hold your opening credits till the 15 fucking minute mark. That yeah. was brilliant. Oh my gosh. I, I fought for that before and lost miserably. So I loved it. But um, anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank yeah. You so and good luck for the next thing we'll be watching. So uh, yeah. best of luck. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Movies. And these, I think there's some of these that are influencer, but these get into kind of the internet horror a little bit and like how you structure out horror when you're looking at like an internet space with fans. Yeah. And obviously there's tons of internet horror. So that's where we could have gone hundreds of movies, but all of these, one of them's borderline, but they all have a character who's either trying to influence, trying to win likes, trying to get some sort of audience uh, participation or following. And I think, so we're just going to rush through. Elric, he made this no card player rule. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't talk about, you know, card player or fear.com. Oh oh, yeah. Fear.com. Okay. Yeah. Fear.com. Why can't I talk about fear.com? He's like, no fear.com. Just the movie. No one's allowed to talk about, even though I love, I love William Malone, but that movie is, uh, that's the one we always imitate with perversion. Uh, you'll see perversion. if you watch it. No, it wasn't good, but I haven't seen it since the theater. So you never know. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I haven't either. Sometimes they get better. Uh, usually early internet film movies don't get better. <laughs> like the net and things, they actually stay much worse than you uh, but, thought at the time. Elric, we have to hack the mainframe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We totally need to hack the but, mainframe. Well, these are more recent than that because early internet's obviously different. And this didn't really come about till most of these the last few years, really. Um, actually, couple even. yeah, every almost, all of these are within the last four years and i met one of these directors today which is even okay. cooler so and a couple uh, i haven't seen and a couple you haven't seen but we're just gonna yeah. rush through them to point them at this is more like not a top 10 this is more like 10 films worth checking out if you're curious about this topic uh we'll start with one that i actually do think is one of the best of them and one of the earlier of this list and that's tragedy girls uh be- produced by some of our fangoria executives tara armin there was a lot of kind of what eventually became our Fangoria team involved in tragedy. Yeah, they called and said it had to be on the list. And it's a lot of pressure (laughs) for me because I felt very, no, this is actually one of the more entertaining movies last year. We we talked to the director back on the old show. Uh, It's just really funny. It was a good early example of the kind of tone that most of these do 
have to adopt mm-hmm. because it's hard to do it straight. Like that's what's one of the impressive things about uh, Influencer is that it's a straight film. And it, you know what I mean? It's not a comedic film. And most of these have an element. I'm almost all of them have an element of comedy to them because yeah. you can't take an influencer seriously. They seem to say that, uh, but tragedy girls is two two girls who want to be popular, like want to get followers and po- popular. They they have a podcast and they go about it's slashing. like a true crime yeah. podcast, and they start kind of causing the crimes so that they can cover them on their true crime podcast. Yeah. It's real clever. I loved this one when it came out. We have the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the setup of yeah. this. I remember people just completely bucking with this, the concept of it, which is a town that they have. It was an old like ghost town that they have rebuilt for influencers yeah. so they can come take pictures. And that hook alone destroyed some horror fans. But the kills in this were so good. And this was another one where they very much portrayed influencers as kind of annoying and vacuous. But the structure of the horror, this was just a fun movie. It wasn't brilliant. It wasn't, you know, reshaping Texas Chainsaw Cannon or anything. It was just fun to watch. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I kind of like the idea that that is your entrance into the movie because it makes it feel contemporary. It's not the old Texas Chainsaw Massacre of a group of kids in a van unknowingly pulling up to Weirdo House and going swimming in the backyard. And it's fun to see the influences and people ripped to shreds. You know, it it plays with how who you're rooting for you do start to root mm-hmm. for the leather face character essentially uh no and it has one pure gold scene which is on the bus uh and everyone's just like right. filming and you know and you imagine the likes going up um the next one is called spree and it's actually i think one of the better and more underrated of these films uh that really takes the character what's the what's the guy from stranger things the boyfriend guy who's hilarious um he's one of my favorite characters from what is his name the I- I can't remember his He's name. He's the bad boyfriend in the first one, well, in the first season. I'm like and then he becomes dying. the coolest guy ever. Hold on, it will take me two seconds. He becomes like the nanny in the second yes. season, and we all love him. And he works at the ice cream parlor. Uh, well, and- well, anyway, the actor, the actor is um, Joe. Yeah, Joe Keery. Oh, man. Joe Keery. I just Thank cannot you. remember what his character name, but in this, uh, he's basically all of our listeners are having aneurysms right now because of this. Le- you know, hopefully, they are, no one's under twenty. I hope. Sorry, guys, if you are. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we um, but he's so fun in this film. It's it really spreads his wings. He basically is a real portrayed as just a real loser who is so excited about social media and wants to be a YouTube star, and he's just a total dud and he has this one friend who doesn't even really like him who actually does have a following and he's trying to get some of that guy's audience and so one day he, he's also a little it's a little travis bickley and he decides to start doing uber and he's gonna run live stream while he does it and he's gonna you know pull a uh king of comedy or a taxi driver where he's gonna the idea of either abducting or killing people and he just it starts going a bonkers but it's always funny always ridiculous and you know what kind of movie it is uh but you know again it's a fun playful version of uh what, what not just influencers but also the modern act of yeah being a uh an uber driver um steve harrington steve, of course it's steve what an embarrassment of course it we is should stop of podcast course. this is our last podcast everyone <laughs> we've, We're we've become geriatrics who can't remember things so <laughs> this is it once we get to the end of this 10 you'll never hear our voices oh um so next up there is the cleansing hour now this is one that i was completely surprised by because when i saw the trailer for this i was like oh exorcism movie and i have this love-hate relationship with exorcism movies where i want to watch them i will watch every exorcism movie 
But so many of them feel like they're just kind of treading on the same ground over and over. And unless it's doing something that kind of gives me reason to stick around, I have problems with them now. The cleansing hour did something completely fucking different where it is about this internet show where they do all this spiritualism and occultism. And for this particular episode, they are doing an exorcism. And as they start getting into it, it's all happening live you realize that this isn't something for the camera, that she is actually fucking possessed. I met the director of this today at the WGA Horror oh, Strike, and it was so cool to meet him. And yeah, so this is this was a really fun one that was something drastically different than I'd seen and really brought the exorcism subgenre into a contemporary YouTube environment. Yeah, and I think the demon wants to drive the likes up. Likes because, up, Because yeah. the higher it gets. Well, you know, clever, fun idea. No, this one was a lot better than I thought it was going to be as I was mm-hmm. watching it. And also, I watched it because a friend of ours called Gallner, who's, you know, was having a banner year. He's he's in this. And I remember that's why I watched it. And I was like, low expectations. And then uh, I thought it was really fun. So I agree yeah. on that one. Worth checking. I think that was a Shudder uh, film. It was. I think. I can't remember where I watched that. I still haven't seen the next one, which is one you really liked last year called Sissy. Yeah. Sissy. So this one I had a blast with. I ended up meeting director Hannah Barlow. We were at a convention in New York together. But Sissy, this for me was just one of my fave films from last year about a girl who you don't really know a huge amount of her backstory, except um, she runs into one of her old high school friends one day. She she is an influencer now. She focuses on mental positivity, body positivity, just positivity, because that's a whole thing to influence on now. And so it's very much kind of the psychological mental stuff that she does on Instagram. She's at a convenience market one day. She runs into one of her old high school friends. Immediately, it's awkward, but her high school friend is like, oh my gosh, it's my bridal shower this weekend. I'm getting married. You have to come. We're going to this cabin in the middle of nowhere at this resort, and you're coming along, and you have to come, and I've missed you so much. And so she decides to come along, and whereas she has crafted out this life for herself as an influencer with this life that she's created online and how it appears... As soon as she gets back with her high school friends, you kind of start to see it break down and you see cracks in there. And then you also see them not accepting this new version of her because they know what a hot mess she was when she was in school. And so she immediately starts reverting back to that. And then it gets really horrific. Mm -hmm. This it was so small. You can feel that it's a pandemic film because it's like five girls, one cabin. But it was really smart in the way that it handled the influencer. This one did not make fun of influencers. It almost embraced it and then showed how what they do is important to them versus what led them to that. And it's got a lot about childhood trauma and trying to overcome it through the vibes that you're putting out into the world now and what happens if somebody tries to pull that away from you. Mm. So this was a cool one. I like. Yeah. I've recently, I get to when I run out of like, what am I watching this next week? That one keeps popping up and I've got to do it now. Good. Uh, it's good. The next one might be, I think almost maybe our mutual favorite on this list. I, I think we both yeah. really like this. This is the most playful for sure. And that's Death Stream that we uh, talked to the directors 
uh, probably a year or so ago when it came out uh, on here. Joseph and Vanessa. Yeah, the Winters. It, it's just a dead, re- dead stream. Dead stream. Yeah. I think I did that last time. <laughs> I think I. Yeah. You said death stream. That's like, you know, yeah. that's going to be like a sword and sandal movie. Dead stream. Oh, shit. That'd though. be cool. It's dead, death stalker, but it's live stream for dead stalker. Death stream. Um, yeah. It's like sword and sandal on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, so the, we'll work on that. Uh, it's about a disgraced YouTuber, which is what we will be after this episode for not knowing uh, Joe Kearney character. Stranger <laughs> Things. Uh, Steve Harrington. Yeah, we got they're disgraced. Me and Becker are disgraced. So we went to a cabin and we put a little light on a camera on our head. And uh, but yeah, he goes. He 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 kind of has his come almost like a comeback special. Uh, goes into a, a classically haunted house and goes Evil Dead from there. And it's just really fun and unexpected. And uh, again, it's a good. I think actually a pretty good portrayal because it's funny and you can make fun of him, but you can also understand the character. I wouldn't say it's one note in terms of portrayal of the influencer. And I, mm-hmm. I actually thought that was, uh, you know, that was kind of a nice surprise. So definitely, that's definitely a Shutter original. Definitely worth people if you haven't already seen that one. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Cam. And this is definitely my other favorite one yeah. on this list. This is the one, anytime I hear somebody say like, oh my God, Blumhouse films, they're so vanilla. They're so just generic horror. I'm like, they fucking made Cam, yeah. y'all. This came out of nowhere for me. It was a pandemic film, but it packed such a punch about a cam girl, a sex cam girl who starts seeing herself in videos that she didn't make. And she starts seeing that she's online when she's not. And she realizes that there is kind of this second version of herself that is kind of taking over online in the online space. This gets weird. It gets trippy. It doesn't try to explain itself. It does not. It almost kind of celebrates being a cam girl. It very much kind of, you know, explores the societal, how people tend to, you know, look down on it, but it explains why it's good, how these people find strength in it, you know, that they actually form meaningful friendships with their fans and things like that. And make a living, make a living. I mean, yeah, and make a living. I think that's the thing about influencers that some people don't realize. It's one thing if it's Kim Kardashian's already rich, but it's like a lot of people, this is how they're going to actually survive. And Uh, finding new ways no cam is is definitely the most like the most me kind of movie on this where it's like you know it has that aesthetic of the it's a doppelganger film but done with real purpose like at one point she's like locked out of her account but the videos continue and you can also see it's somebody grappling with you know what it means to make that kind of content that you Mm -hmm. don't maybe recognize yourself when you watch it again you know what i mean it's almost out of body that you were doing these things uh written by you know a person who's actually a cam girl and her book is, you know, just excellent about her. Time. I read it. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Right after this movie came out, I read it. And it was, again, just such the amount of creativity and passion yeah. that they put into making these videos. I was like, it complete. Because I'd have a couple of students that had worked as cam girls that always told me that, you know, they did it in the evenings and it helped pay for ridiculously expensive grad yeah. school. And I never really thought about that it is in itself a second shop, that it's massive, that you have to, you can't just show up, that it is still very much like a preparation and that it is still very much a showmanship and a writing of a, a an exchange you're going to have with your audience. So I'll yeah, be interested now book. to see if there'll be like an OnlyFans horror, because it does feel like that mm-hmm. is the newest branch of a lot of these industries that has obviously done pretty well. And I'm curious how, if somebody has already, it probably has already happened. There's probably already filmed about it. Yeah. Um, our next one is one. Why? Another another one that you had liked a lot that you told me about was Superhost. Yeah, I found this to be super fun. It was, I mean, this is not a perfect film, I will say. There was some parts of this where, you know, I thought that it got kind of silly when maybe they should have gone more scary. 
But some of the stuff that I loved about it, Grace Phipps, who has kind of some horror street cred. She was amazing in Tales of Halloween. She was in the Scream TV show. She plays the super host in this. And it kind of just summed up all of my fears of doing Airbnb, where these people show up. There's suddenly all this stuff wrong with the Airbnb that they are renting, but she's listed as a super host. And so she just seems like she's constantly there fixing stuff. In the meantime, they're trying to have like a nice romantic evening and it keeps getting creepier and creepier with her there. It, you know, small pandemic film, but there was something really watchable about this. Yeah. Um, and Buddies, 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 you know, a couple of last ones are kind of recent. Buddies, Buddies, Buddies is um, there's one character in particular who is an influencer and has her podcast and it becomes like the butt of the joke of the entire movie. Every time she brings up her podcast, people want to leave the room. And I think it's very funny. I think the characters in this movie seem to be somebody's version of these are the people who would be influenced and influencers Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Like these are what they look like. This is what they sound like. And when you put them all at a party and there's a hurricane outside and then people start, you know, disappearing and being knocked off, uh, your, your imagination kind of races beyond what's actually going on. It's actually a very playful fun movie and and i think i think that particular character is the steals the movie uh she's hilarious i thought we just found it funny because we're podcasters and yeah like every single time we mention it we're always kind of like and we're podcasters like it's it's weird but yeah i loved that character so much she's really fun and then uh, i put this one in there because this is one rob savage has got his new film coming out this weekend boogie boogeyman and loved his first film and i didn't like dash cam when I saw it and that wasn't like a hit on him because the filmmaking is actually rather terrific, but at some point I will rewatch it. And the reason I put it on the list is because it pushed the boundary of, of mm-hmm. casting someone in my mind, who's very unlikable, but who has got a social presence and is like almost, you know, famous in that way. And, and her performance playing a character that is unlikable and kind of mean and just super aggressive and like just in your face it felt to be actually a very honest portrayal of that world. And then it becomes, you know, really insane kind of virus movie, basically majoring pandemic. So it's impressive in a lot of like formal ways, but unpleasant to watch because like a lot of characters, when they portray these types of characters, they come off as like, you don't, they're talking to their fans. Oh, you know, you're following me and you're just, you're kind of repelled because when we look at ourselves, like if I call myself a podcaster and that people like, picking film recommendations from me, I'm fine with that. If you suddenly said, you're an influencer, Ulrich, I would feel a little bit ill if I start doing the same thing. And, and so, you know what I mean? There, there's a difference. And I think sometimes these movies are holding up a bit of a mirror to say, this is what it looks like when you talk like this. This is what it looks like when you're promoting and you're just, it's hard to be, it's hard to face that reality, I'd say. I did not see this, but I had students that thought this film was great. Yeah, yeah no, and, and it's it's really well made. That's the thing. I have no doubt about Rob as a director. It's more just like whether you like to watch it. Because <laughs> it's actually a similar pairing to Spree, because it's somebody largely driving a car and, and, and stuff. But Spree, you like the guy, and so you can put up with the craziness. And when you don't like the person, it's it's just a very interesting kind of schism, I think. But um anyway those are those are 10 movies uh again no real order uh take your pick watch them there's like another 20 go on letterboxd you'll see lists of all sorts of things popping up these days uh and it's it is super interesting i think this is an interesting space interesting topic kind of like liminal horror it's another one of these spaces where we're going to see hundreds more movies in the next five ten years uh about characters in these spaces well, I also have to plug the short story book I was in through Simon & Schuster. So it was a spinoff of the Shutter podcast, Video Palace. 
which was awesome in itself. It was very much about like this kind of cults and a God like demon that kind of hunted for more followers and sacrifices through videotapes. I took when we did the short story book called In Search of the Eyeless Man for Simon & Schuster during the pandemic. I took my short story to contemporary times and made it an influencer who was posting stuff. But I used the idea that if you were to store up your media long enough, because like I do that, like if I know I'm going to be away from my desk for like three days, I will pre- post stuff so that it's set to post at a particular time Mm -hmm. so that I'm still posting even if I'm not there that if you did that long enough and ahead you could effectively die without actually dying like you're you're that age forever and they use that a little bit in the movie influencer the idea that you know people can keep on posting without you but the idea of even though that you've ceased to exist, the idea of eternal life, I found to be, you know, because in every, it's like a Schrodinger's cat. Mm. Well, you're dead, but in everybody else's eyes, you're still alive. So you're a little bit of both because Mm -hmm. your perception is still alive. So I love that element of social media. And I want to see more of that in horror films because I think it's so fascinating. Well, I want to influence none of your uh, life decisions, people listening, but I do want to always influence you on some cool things to watch. And that's about all. Always. That's about all I ever want to influence anyone on. Um, But other than that, yeah, so super fun topic. I do recommend you guys check out Influencer on uh, Shutter right now. Uh, I think it's a nice, fun throwback to that 90s thriller vibe that we all love. Thank you all so much for listening to tonight's episode. We will be back in two weeks. So we're going to have to take a vacation sometime this summer. I have no idea when we're traveling. Elric, you got to tell me when I you're heading north. I think it's mid or late June, somewhere late there. So probably we probably have one or two. We probably have two more shows left. Before, two more before shows before. So yeah, we'll have a break sometime this summer, but it won't be yet. And if you just need some more weird, weird, weird titles, you can head on over to our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, where we are also providing cheat sheets. This month, I did 20 must-read horror books that are coming out this summer. And there's a lot of good content over there as well, in addition to all of the weirdest stuff we can find on the internet. So that is Deep Cuts over on our Patreon page. Thank you all so much for listening. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 